Okay, hey, welcome to uh, the worship of God through the book of Philippians today. We're in Philippians chapter 1, the end of it, into chapter 2, verse 4. And this morning, uh, I scrapped my uh, first 10 minutes for something else, so we'll see how that goes. But I was reminded, because last night my wife was painting our our bathroom in our uh, bedroom, and uh, she had this on the wall, and she took that down, and, and this comes from uh, our honeymoon. It's a sun face. Uh, we, we got to go 18 years ago. We're not quite 20, but uh, 18 years ago, we were uh, in Ixtapa, Mexico. Thank you to my father and, and mom, and, then, and they uh, helped pay for that. And so we, we got to go to Mexico, enjoy the sun, and, and we were poor then. And so we were on our last night, and we just had a, just a little bit of money left. We had gone out to dinner, and we were in the market, and, you know, bartering and, and looking at different things. And, and we came across this sun face, and we said, hey, um, that's interesting. And we kept, we kept looking, coming back, and we're like, well, what about that, that sun face? And uh, um, we, we were like, oh, well, you know, we only have enough money to either buy the sun face or to uh, uh, get a taxi back home. Otherwise, it's like, an, uh, it's like an hour hike over the mountain and through the jungle and into the hotel. And, and so we're like, oh, okay, well, you know, it'd be really cool to have a memorial, like a, a remembrance of that. And so uh, we obviously got the sun face and uh, we, are, we hiked it back and walked back to our hotel. And uh, as we're packing up our bags for the next day, we're like, oh, well, uh, one of us said to the other one, we're, we're not quite sure how the story actually unfolded, but what we discovered was one of us said to the other one, well, we got that sun face you liked. And the other one was like, what? <laughs> I, mean, I thought it was because you like the sun face. And I'm like, no, 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 I did that for you because you, you had some interest in it. And she was like, no, 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 I, I did that for you. And we both kind of like, well, we both would have preferred to sh- just take a taxi home at that point. Uh, I mean, it's kind of creepy. You put a candle behind it and it stares at you. Uh, uh, but uh, so a couple things have come out of that. Uh, it stayed with us. Uh, the first thing I, I think uh, positively We've, we've learned to communicate better. Um, <laughs> that, that, that wouldn't happen again. Negatively, however, and anyone that's been married more than a week knows this, that whereas at the honeymoon, it was easy to, to defer and consider the other better than ourself, uh, that has not always been the course of our marriage. Uh, and, uh, and to our shame, uh, often we are putting forth our own agenda or our own preferences. And, and so the sun face reminds us of a time where, though we did it poorly, we did it right. And we said, uh, uh, I'm going to consider the other better than myself. And uh, why, do I, why do I say that? Well, you know, I've, I've done a lot of marriage counseling and when you do premarital counseling, rather, when you do that, like, it's, it's almost worthless because uh, the, the couple is like, well, thank you for bringing up all these issues. We'll never have those issues because we just love each other. I'm like, okay, can we just do this six months after you get married because it'll be much more effective at that point. And so sometimes that happens six months later. Hey, those things you were telling us, could you tell us that again? Because now we need those, those tools that you mentioned. And so I say gladly. Now, why do I say that? Because the passage we're looking at today, it's going to, Paul's going to talk to a church that's been in it about 10 years now. 
And it's a healthy church, it's a good church, but there's some, there's some significant dangers on the horizon, both externally and internally at this church, the church at Philippi. And, and I read this this week, I studied this week, and I thought, you know, uh, he's going to talk about division. He's going to talk about um, just outside pressure. And all those things are good and fine, but we're a church plant. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't sense a lot of outside pressure. I don't sense like there's danger that we're going to walk through the farmer's market and people are going to turn on us because we're Christians. Uh, I don't, but that was true in Philippi. I don't sense that there's a, a movement within the church rising up to, to get their way and put their agenda forward. However, just like premarital counseling, uh, I realize that in church, that, that can be a, re- a reality. The church can be a brutal place. Some of you, if you've been in church more than a year or so, you know that uh, there can be times where uh, instead of the mission of the church going forward, it's been grinding to a halt and, and people are putting forth their agendas. There's, there's outside pressure and there's inside pressure. And so us as a church plant, before we ever experience any of that, God in his providence would bring us to this passage and say, you got to fight for this. It's going to be hard. There, there's there's a, a tendency in all of our hearts to have our own way, just like in marriage. But, but if you're going to succeed, if the mission is going to go forward, we, 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 we've got to realize that it's not just going to happen. We've, we've said some pretty lofty things, like, hey, we want to exalt God. We, we exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And that, that sounds good on paper. And we've said some things like, hey, we want to be a church that plants Churches, And that sounds great on paper, uh, but none of that's going to happen if we don't wrap our lives around what Paul is going to share to the church at Philippi this morning. And it's just this, that Paul is for the joy of the Philippians. He's going to fight for their joy. And he's shown them from his own life that even though he's been in prison and the chains have been wrapped around his ankles and his wrists, they're advancing the gospel, so he rejoices. And he said, hey, I might die for this, but last week, good news, if I die, to die is gain and to live is Christ. And now he turns to the Philippians and he says, how are you going to continue the good fight? How are you going to fight for joy? And he unpacks it for them. And again, We have to wrap our lives around this now so that when this becomes more and more applicable, we have this foundation to go forward from. So I'm going to read it, and uh, as always, I'd ask you to listen carefully. This is God's Word, and I'll pray and unpack the passage uh, for us today. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 into chapter 2, verse 4. Only let your manner of life be worthy of of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy 
by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is the word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Let's pray. God, we, we bow our hearts before your word now and are mindful of Jesus' words that, heaven, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from your mouth. And so, uh, Lord, we pray that we would hear from you through your word now. Shape us by your word. Lord, do that individually and do that corporately together now, that we might be a people that uh, understands what it means to fight for joy together in unity. Lord, show us now what that means, and may you be honored by the meditations of our hearts, the words of my lips, to the end that Jesus Christ has put forward and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Paul, actually in this, uh, in the English, you saw several sentences in, in eight verses, but it's really just two sentences. Paul is the master of run-on sentences. And so the first sentence, verse 27 through 30, is one sentence trying to make one point, And then uh, chapter 2, 1 through 4 is another sentence trying to emphasize another point. But they both deal with this idea of fighting together for unity. It's a huge, huge deal in the, in the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is uh, many lofty things that, that, that the Word of God puts forth, and so that it, it would make sense, therefore, that, that it would be under attack. See, we, we can't be uh, practical atheists. You, you do understand that there is a real war going on, and the church is at the beachhead of that war. That the enemy hates our gathering. The enemy hates our gospel. The enemy hates our families. The enemy does whatever he can to disrupt and destroy the mission of the church. And so let's not be ignorant of that. But understand that it is a battle that we will fight for. We'll fight for with our love. We'll fight for in humility. We'll fight for on our knees so that the mission can go forward. It's a real battle. So the first point in the first three verses is simply this, uh, and they're similar to each other, that we must ferociously stand together against external opposition. I use those words because I want there to be an emotion to it. I want there to be an an attention to it, a ferocity to it, if you will. He says, be ferocious about this. Verse 27, only... As if he's saying, just one thing, church, just, there's just one thing that you really have to wrap your lives around, and it's this. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life. The word we get out of that is your politics or, or your citizenship. So let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this would have made sense to the Philippians. Unlike most of the other churches in the New Testament letters that we have to, Philippi was a Roman colony. 
And as a Roman colony, like Americans, uh, they would have had certain benefits and privileges being Roman citizens. And there would have been a, a certain pride to their Roman citizenship. And so Paul is writing to this church that has this pride as Romans. And he says, but, but this one thing, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel. He's reminding them that they are citizens. To, to visit Philippi would be to, be to visit a little Rome. If you were to visit Philippi in the first century, you would have been reminded of Rome. And so it was an outpost of, of, of the, greater, the greater city. And the church of Christ is, is an outpost of the kingdom of God. So that when people enter into the church of Christ, whether it's in our homes or our, our gathering of worship or uh, in our gospel communities, when people enter into that, they should smell the aroma of heaven. They should be reminded that this is an outpost on the front edge of the kingdom of God. And so Paul says, so, so live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Be citizens that are worthy of the gospel. And remember that though you are Roman citizens, and, and that comes with many privileges and benefits, man, your citizenship, he'll say in chapter 3, is in heaven. Remember, as good as it may be for you in Philippi, it's better for where your real home is. And as Americans, isn't that true for us as well? Like we're celebrating Memorial Day today. And it's a, a good thing, I believe, to, to be proud of our American heritage. But, but really, it has to pale in comparison or should pale in comparison to our citizenship in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. So that, again, when people encounter us, they should encounter a colony of the kingdom of God. He says, so live like that. Whether I, am, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul again alludes to two analogies that would have been familiar in their day and familiar in our day. He, uh, he appeals to soldiers and to athletes. And he says, just as you understand the Roman soldiers and, and how they work, have that same mindset. And they would, have, they would have seen the soldiers. They would have seen the full armor of the soldiers. They would have seen, heard the stories of their advancement and how, how the, the, the Roman Empire conquered more land and more territory than any other empire had known before that time. And they would have known the stories to stand firm. How, how, did, how did they do that, their strategy? Historians tell us that when Rome would conquer a, a territory, they would assign soldiers a six-foot by six-foot plot of land and said, this is yours. You defend that with your life, and the person next to you will defend that with his life, and the person next to you with his life, and together we will see Success And so Paul says, in the same way, as citizens of the kingdom, on the outskirts of, of the empire, stand firm. And they said, okay, we can do that. And then he goes to an athletic term. He says, striving side by side. In fact, the word is sin athleo. We get the word athlete from it. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says, work together in this. 
They, they would have thought of uh, first century wrestling, which wasn't one-on-one, but, but a team event and, and, and the coordination that that took place. Perhaps best in our day is those of you that are fans of American football. You, you would get this picture, right? If you don't understand what's going on there, you're, you're like uh, my daughter Hannah when she was about four years old and came in and saw us watching the Broncos and she said, turned to me and she said, Dad, uh, football is just running and wrestling. Running and wrestling, that's all they're doing, every play. They run and wrestle. And I'm like, well, I could see how you could say that. But for those of us that understand football, we know that, and this, this, this word here might be best describes the offensive line, side by side, striving. We know how important it is. They, they don't get all the glory, but man, if you have a bad offensive line, see the Broncos last year, you, you, you just don't go very far. You don't succeed. There is no success. And so Paul is saying, in, in the same way, Strive side by side. Why? For the faith of the gospel so that the mission will go forward. He says, uh, don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. So this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And then he says this curious thing that as American Christians, is this hard for us to understand, but, but hopefully we've seen this in the last couple of weeks and can understand that here. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you, the word is gifted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's a gift to you. Thank you very much, God. Thank you for the suffering that, that I received. But no, Paul is saying, like, when you suffer, it, it, God isn't like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to fix that. And often, isn't that how we pray? Lord, take this suffering away from me. But Paul says, no, it's been granted for you to believe. And we get that. If you're a Christian here, hopefully you get that. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace through faith you have been saved. This is a gift from God, not a result of works. But he says that the suffering is also a gift. How in the world is suffering a gift? Well, you'd have to listen to the sermon from two weeks ago, but one way it's a gift as citizens living in a manner worthy of the gospel is to remind us that this place is not our home. That when pain hits us, we're like, man, I long for a better home. I long for a better place, a place where there is no pain and suffering and weeping and crying. And so suffering is a gift for us, and it makes us uh, strive together. And so the first one is just this. We must ferociously stand together against external opposition. But honestly, that's the easy part. We have brothers and sisters in Christ across the globe right now that are suffering violently. Uh, just a couple of days ago, 22 Coptic Christians were shot, shot and killed by ISIS in Egypt. And this is a, a reality for them. Uh, and yet, when, when people go and interview the persecuted church, what is so interesting to me is though they, the, most, the, the thing they say most is, don't pray that God takes away the suffering, pray that we would honor God in it. In, in Nick Ripkin's book, The Insanity of God, who uh, after serving in um, Somalia and just seeing terrible suffering and then going around the globe and, and visiting the persecuted church, uh, at one point uh, he was just flabbergasted with the amount of suffering and perseverance that was necessary for the church. And one of the Christians says, Nick, when did you stop believing your Bible? This is what the Bible says will happen, and this is what is happening to us, and God has seen fit to give this to us. And our faith continues. 
So again, outside opposition can actually be a, a, a fuel for our unity, and that's what Paul hopes it is. But then there's this thing that is maybe even more dangerous. It's, it's internal. And that's the second point in the starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. We must fight against internal divisions with the weapons of humility and love. We are called to fight alongside each other in the first part, not against each other. It reminds me of that movie, Remember the Titans. Remember Denzel Washington? He's a coach, Coach Herman Boone, uh, back in the uh, civil rights era in the South, and they're integrating a, a school between the white kids and the black kids. And, and they, they're, they're talented athletes, but in and of themselves, they, they just are running their own plays and doing their own thing, seeking their own glory, and they're not going to succeed. And, and the coach realizes, hey, we are going to fail if this is the case. And so during training cab, early one morning before the crack of dawn, he gets up all the student, all the, all the kids and the, the other coach, and he says, we're going to go on a run. It's going to be a long run. We're going to run through the forest, and you better keep up, because if you don't keep up, you're on your own, and hopefully you can find a way back, because we're not coming back for you, so keep up. And so he runs them and runs them and runs them, and then as dawn uh, rises up, he, he comes to uh, this field, and, and it's a cemetery, and he says, anybody know where this is? And the kids are like, no, we don't know where this is. They're exhausted. White kids and black kids, they're just now just, just trying to get air. And one of the other coaches says, this is Gettysburg. So that's right, Gettysburg. 50,000 men, young boys, gave their lives to fight the same fight we're still fighting. And he has this line in the movie, he says, if we don't come together right now on this hollowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. And so Paul gives us the basis for our internal unity, uh, the, to fight together. The basis is the gospel, verse 1. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, he says, think about the gospel. Think about who you were. If you understand the gospel, you, you understand that you were an enemy of God, you were a rebel, you were deserving of the full wrath of God, and, and, and God transferred you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the Son He loves. If that encourages you, as it should, be an encouragement. Let that overflow in your life into the church. He says, if there's any comfort from love, again, you are an enemy of God, but now you're an adopted son or daughter of God. You are loved by God, and there's nothing you can do to earn more of his love, and there's nothing you can do to lose his love. If that, if that comforts you, then, then comfort others with the overflow of that love. If there's any participation in the Spirit, that means the word koinonia is there again. If there's any partnership in the, in the Spirit, meaning if you're a trusting in Christ this morning, the, the Word of God says you have the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit loves to make much of Jesus. And so um, you have that, I have that, and together, hey, we can do great things more than we could on our own. So let's make much of Jesus together. And then he says, if you have any affections and sympathies, if there's any love in your heart for God, God put that there. And he gives you more than enough to love the people on your left and on your right. So there's the basis. The basis is the gospel. And then in verse 2, he gives the command. It's the only command in this part. It's the only imperative. Verse 2, complete my joy. It's like it would make me really happy. Please do this by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Complete my joy by fighting for unity, staying together. 
See, unity is a huge deal. Again, the enemy seeks to, to steal, kill, and destroy our joy and destroy our churches. But we've got to fight for this. You've heard the phrase, united we stand, divided we fall. So I, I tried to do some research this week. Where did that come from? And, and best they can tell is that that comes from a story in, from the 6th century B.C., from Aesop's Fables, in a story called The Four Oxen and the Lion. Um, I don't have the story written down. I'll just tell it from memory. So this lion wanted to devour these oxen. And so uh, whenever the lion came by, the oxen would come together and they would stand tail to tail so that wherever the lion went, he was uh, faced with a pair of horns and he couldn't do anything. Eventually, the lion came up with a plan and he he began to uh, slander one oxen against the other. And and the the oxen began to quarrel and the oxen decided to go their own way and and each go to one corner of the pasture. And there, of course, the lion got his wish and devoured one by one by one. United we stand, uh, divided we fall. This is a command throughout Scripture to fight for unity. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, before he talks about what is the fruit of the Spirit, he first talks about uh, what are the deeds of the flesh, what what is wicked, what comes from our our wicked nature. And and he puts it like this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. That could be one category of sin idolatry and sorcery. That could be another, but notice the next eight. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. All of that could be tied to disunity. So drunkenness, orgies, and, all, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a big deal to God. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus died for the church. He loves the church. And so let us be very, very careful to to do anything that would uh, offend Jesus' bride that he died for and that he loves. Then in in verses 3 and 4, he gives us the expressions of humility. Starts off with two, uh, two negatives and then turns to positive. Says, let us each, let each of you, Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, of course, we're going to look to our own interests, but, but first and foremost, let's look to the others. That was verse 4. Let me go back to verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's, it's just choosing to love other people more than ourselves. That, that doesn't come naturally, but... By the Spirit of God, we can do this. I love John Stott's quote on this. He says this about a humility and pride. He says that every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility our greatest friend. I love that. Pride is our greatest enemy, but humility is our greatest friend. It's a weapon for us in the battle. Well, as, as we do this, how, how do we... How do we do this? Why is this so important? 
Jesus saw fit that on the night that he'd be betrayed and as he gathered his disciples, he wanted to cast vision for them one last time. And so he began to wash their feet. And next week when we look at more of chapter 2, we'll see more of Christ's example in all this as our fuel for this. But in, in John chapter 13, he gathers his disciples and he says this, a new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. Again, it's that image that as people enter into our midst, they should smell the aroma of heaven. And Jesus says, as you love one another, it will be evident that God is at work. The church is the hope of the world by the Spirit of Christ. So how will you stand with us for the faith of the gospel? and fight divisions and with the weapons of love and humility. Maybe you're just visiting today, and uh, we're glad you're here. We're, we're trying to figure out our, our identity and our direction, and, and we think we have a pretty good idea. But um, if you're just visiting, thank you for doing that. And, and maybe you're going to visit for the next few months. But uh, if this is your, your church home, or you're seeing it more and more as your church home, the first thing I would just say is out of this passage that, we would stand, that you would stand with us, that you'd invest in community. Now, now, we recognize not everyone is able to go to a gospel community with, with schedule and otherwise, but there's other ways to, to get plugged in, just to meet someone, invite them into your home, to, to go to the women's Bible study this summer uh, for women. And uh, if, if you... Uh, you know, come camping with us, but, but spend time investing uh, together. The church is, is like, but, but know this, the church is like porcupines, right? Like it's cold, we got to get warm together, and, and so we got to get close, but porcupines have quills. And so know this, especially if you're just checking out this church, this is not a perfect church. In fact, uh, there are no perfect churches. And if you find one, you can't go there because you'll ruin its record. Like, understand this, that we just have to know on the outset, like, there's going to be offense. Like, we're going to sin against each other. There, there are things that I'm going to say that won't be done out of love and, and gospel centrality. And in that moment, you'll have to say, is the gospel bigger than this? Can the gospel cover that offense? And you'll have to choose to consider others better than yourselves. And as we do that, a beautiful thing happens uh, our outpost, our, our kingdom outpost is, is set forth like a city on a hill. We're not a perfect people, but we serve a perfect God. And so we invite you to invest with us, stand with us. Now, if, if you're a person that is historically a divisive person, because the church is full of them, uh, my going to seminary all of my friends, maybe, maybe not one of them, but all of my friends that I went to seminary with are no longer in ministry today because the church chewed them up and spit them out. And I'm just going to say as politely as I can, if you're a divisive person, first of all, repent. There's forgiveness for that, but you've got to repent. Say, I'm no longer going to be that kind of person. And, and if, you, if you can't, then then I'm going to ask you as quickly as possible, leave. Stop coming here. We don't need that. We're not quite at the point where I say we need your parking spot, but you get the idea. We, we need you to, 
We need you to leave. We, we don't have any time for that. The mission is too valuable. The, the, the stakes that God has put before us are, are too glorious to be ground to a halt because we have our personal agendas to go forward. And so stand with us. Invest in our community. The second thing I would say, similarly, is to covenant with us through love and humility. So in the fall, as we continue to progress and, and move from church plant stage to, to official church launch, uh, we're going to introduce what, something that we think is highly biblical, and that, that is that every Christian in the New Testament would say, hey, that is the group of people that I covenant with. Those are the people that I'll die for. Those are the people I'll die with. And, and, and so we're, we're going to invite you to our covenant membership in the fall. And that's just saying, hey, we're not just going to attend on Sunday or go to gospel community, but we're going to really love one another. And even when it's costly, we're going to do that. And so we'll have covenant membership in the fall. So now you've got a couple months to decide, is this a church that I can go all in on? Is this a church that I can die with? And so as we serve one another, love one another, look for ways to honor one another above yourself. How are we going to love people? Maybe someone's going to have a baby. How, how can we come alongside them and, and encourage them and love them as they start a, a brand new adventure? I know others are going to, through an adoption process. That's very expensive. Maybe we can help, help pay for that. That, that. that is an important member of our community and, and encourage them and pray for them. Maybe someone's going through a hard time and you make a meal for them. Earlier this year, we... We had a, a, a difficult, difficult week in our family, and the Dugases said, hey, we want to take care of your meals for the next couple of days, and they made amazing meals. They, they considered others, us better than themselves, and brought it over for us, and so that we, we didn't have to worry about that. But it, it takes a proactive mindset for us to fight for unity with the weapons of humility and grace. May God do that in our midst. May God make that happen for us. To that end, I want to pray for us, and then we're going to move to our communion table together. Let's pray. God, we are mindful that the enemy hates your worship and hates your church and hates the gospel, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So Lord, would you help us uh, that when we sin against each other, and that will happen as we grow closer to forgive one another, to understand that because you forgave us, we can forgive others. Would you help us to fight for unity, striving side by side, standing firm in the gospel so that at the end of the day, people could come into our midst and say, this reminds me of heaven. Uh, let us live a life worthy of the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.